You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. When I was a kid, my family had a cottage at Victoria Beach. And right through elementary school, all of my summers were spent there. The family would move up a couple of days after school had ended for the summer break. My mom would stay there with the three kids, my dad joining us on weekends and for his vacation weeks. It was a pretty splendid time for a boy like me as we were not all that far from being what today would be called free-range kids, out for hours on our bikes, exploring the woods and fashioning all kinds of imaginary adventures, searching for empty soft drink bottles to cash in for penny candy, playing baseball every evening at the community club, fishing, hunting for frogs and crayfish, all quite idyllic in so many ways and a little bit like a Walt Disney movie. Being away from the city for the summer meant that we were also away from our church for two months. I don't know that I minded that all that much. But from time to time, my parents would take us to the church service held at the Victoria Beach Community Club. There they would have set out rows of stacking chairs on the creaky old floor, same chairs we sat on for the weekly movie nights. And some visiting minister would lead a generally mainline Protestant service. There'd have been some singing, though I don't recall if it was led by a piano or maybe with a guitar. Those were the mid-60s, and the folk hymn was just coming into fashion. So maybe we had fashionably modern ministers there who were keen on such innovations. I don't remember actually going all that often, which probably means that on the whole, it was an underwhelming church service, because in the city, we never missed a Sunday. And I have a gold attendance pin from Westwood Presbyterian Church Sunday School to prove that I went steadily for three full years. I still have the pin. Strangely, though, I have a very vivid memory of a sermon from one of those Victoria Beach church services in which the minister preached on a portion of tonight's reading from the first epistle of John, specifically this, quote, those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I have no idea as to whether he preached on more than just that one verse But I was powerfully struck by what I did hear him say, which was basically, you can't love God if you hate another person. You're lying, lying, if you say you love God, but at the same time, 
hate someone else. Oh my goodness, did that ever trouble my young soul. I couldn't have been more than six or seven years old, but I suppose I was serious enough about things to A, be listening to a sermon in the first place, and B, to be shaken by it. See, my family, we were church folks, not in a narrowly pious or moralistic way, but the language and practice of faith was simply a part of our home. There was always a blessing before dinner, always prayers said at bedtime. We certainly knew what Christmas was really all about, and I remember my dad reading us nativity story from the big family Bible right before we hung our stockings out for Santa. The basic Bible stories were familiar, just part of what you knew, what was in the air. So I was pretty sure that I loved God, and I sure liked Jesus. But I'm also this little boy who was pretty sure that I hated, hated the bullies in my school. And sometimes when I got really mad at a friend or at my younger brother, that ominous statement would spring from my mouth, I hate your guts. I wonder, do kids still say, I hate your guts? It seems so, like, visceral. But it just came. I remember it so well. And what about the girls in my class? I mean, we were at an age when all the girls thought that the boys were, for the most part, just gross. And the boys believed that all the girls had cooties. One of the girls in my grade was thought to have the most serious of cooties, and I'm pretty sure I hated her. I probably even said it to her. So how can I hate Susan with her cooties and that bully, Grant, and sometimes my friend Brian when he was being a jerk, and my little brother when he was being a pain? How can I hate them and them love God. The minister said, I'm a liar. Am I a liar? Well, I was sufficiently rattled by this that once we were back in the city at the end of the summer, I actually raised the question with my friend Brian, the very one whose guts I had occasionally said I hated. I vividly remember being in my front yard playing and out of nowhere, I just blurted out what this minister had said in his sermon. Now, Brian's family were not particularly a church family, except probably they could identify the church that they didn't attend. But this was at a time when we said the Lord's Prayer at school, had daily Bible reading at the beginning of the day. Christmas time, we sang carols and performed the nativity pageant in the school auditorium. The idea of God was simply in the cultural air that we all breathed. And even those kids whose family didn't go to church still more or less believed in a God. So I just blurted it out to him. This is what the minister said. I, I don't remember much about what he said, but I do recall that he took it all really quite seriously. What I know is that I decided that I couldn't throw around words like hate too loosely anymore because those words could make a liar out of you. Now, some of you may be thinking, 
that given that the six or seven-year-old Jamie was wrestling away with this stuff in this way, I was pretty much fated for ministry. Maybe in some sense I was, though the junior high version of me would most definitely have suggested otherwise. The thing is, at some level, I really did get what John is trying to convey here to his community. In some very real sense, this passage, in fact, the whole of the first epistle of John, is an extended improvisation on a key piece of Jesus' teaching from the gospel according to John, where he says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's the one clear commandment, the one clear mandate that Jesus gives to his disciples in the gospel according to John, that they love one another just as he had loved them. That didn't mean that they were to feel warm and fuzzy toward one another or towards anyone, but rather that they were to choose to love And to do that from a posture of both servanthood, recall this is the same gospel where Jesus washes their feet and tells them to do that for others, and from a posture of friendship, because friendship is a very powerful theme in John. Jesus says, I no longer call you my servants, I now call you my friends. To choose to love is to choose not to hold hatred or animosity for others, to not stand in a posture of hostility or resentment or jealousy, to not hold grudges, but to fight always to move into a posture of servanthood and friendship which characterize love that is a choice. It means aligning what one says about their belief in God with how one actually thinks about and treats the very real people in this very real world. This is a mandate that is at once quite simple and incredibly challenging. And that's what I was recognizing all those years ago when I heard that minister preach on that Sunday morning in the Victoria Beach Community Club. I knew that I deeply resented and feared the bully, that I could sometimes experience animosity to my friends, and that my little brother could drive me crazy. And there I was, sensing this call to not let those emotions take over, to not become as mean as I thought the bully was. But how in heaven's name do you carry that off without just succumbing to the bully, without just rolling over? Well, the heart of the answer is carried in today's gospel reading when Jesus says, Abide in me. Abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. 
Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. The fruit that is born by abiding in him is not stuff. It's not success. It's not contrary to what some prosperity churches might have you believe. It's not money. It's not prosperity. Nothing like that. But instead, the fruit are the things that Paul in Galatians calls the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is not about becoming spiritual superheroes, so pure, so good, but about being truthful about where the gaps are in our lives, admitting that we might hold some hatred, some animosity, some resentment, some unforgiveness at the center of ourselves, and then surrendering to our need to be branches of the one true vine. I didn't quite grasp all of that when I was a kid listening to that minister or as I mulled it over and talked to my friend Brian about it, but I think I was well on my way. And I'm pretty sure that I still am on my way. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.